parenting workshop. We want to just do a brief review, and then we're talking about training. So the three pillars of biblical parenting as we see it, I mean, you could describe it in different ways than just the three, but definitely there's a relational aspect, which is the heartstrings. That's important to be able to connect with the heart. You have to win your child's heart or you can't win the training um, battle, and it is a battle. Second aspect is modeling. As parents, we are called to model what we're asking of them. So we model for them loving Jesus. We model for them how we treat people. We model for them um, every part of the Christian um, life. Deuteronomy 6, these words will be in your heart, upon your mouth. You're going to put them over the doorpost when you go in. When you come out, you're going to talk to them. You're going to teach them. So there's a constant life experience it's a, it's a fail in Western culture for us to take our kids to church and drop them off there and think that that's how they're going to become true followers of Jesus. It, it rarely works um, because it's not God's intended way. So there's the relational aspect, there's the modeling aspect, and there's the training aspect, which in my view is the one that is the most misunderstood or neglected in our culture. I think maybe in in my culture and certainly in my parents, there was more of an emphasis on discipline and training and less on relational connection. And I think this generation has basically gone to the other side and said, okay, it's all about relationships, so we're not going to discipline them. We're not going to do any spanking. We're not going to do anything like that. It's just all going to be we're just going to love, 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 and everything's going to work out well. And that isn't working out very well in our culture, right? Um because you have to have a combination, and I think the, the Bible is really clear. Um, if you want to go back and listen to the, the previous two podcasts, we cover that more in detail. But we want to continue. We started talking about training last time, and we want to continue on that because it's so critical in this whole process. Again, I think most parents today, especially Christian parents, get the fact that you, know, you want your children to love you, you want to win their heart, you want to have a good relationship with them um, as part of the process. If you lose their heart, you're going to lose the battle of parenting um, and training for sure. But your influence over your children is based on the fact that you have a good heart connection with them and they can receive correction and discipline because of that. So this is a, this is a holy and a sober calling. We need the Holy Spirit's power Guys know you have small children. Like this is this takes God to come in and break through and reveal Himself to our children, and that is the truth. And so we're continually praying and crying out for wisdom, right, and understanding for the Lord to come and to make Himself known and to reveal Himself to our children. It's it's just a huge um, issue. Yes. Aspect. If they don't feel like the parents are doing what they want or doing what's right for them, 
Right, because they feel like their parents are taking the easy way and let's just make everything smooth and not actually deal with the issues that are um, important as far as shaping their life. Kids are amazingly intuitive and, and realize what's happening. And um, they know whether the parents are all in and that we're committed to their highest good. Um, so it's, it's definitely a holy calling. And, you know, again, we want to, talk more about the idea of training our children because this is so important from my perspective with what I see in in young families um, today in in the church world which is mostly my world um, is that this is the most neglected and misunderstood and there's actually a pretty large segment of believers today that reject spanking altogether as being Neanderthal stuff, you don't do that, like that's old school and it's not, and I, I want to show, it's, that's not the whole thing of training for sure, it's only a part, but it is an important part. I want to make the case that it is a biblical principle and so we're bound to it if we're followers of Jesus, that, that God knows better than we do, right? He's wiser than we are on how to raise our children. He, ra he created them for himself. And so if we reject his counsel and his command in dealing with them, we're actually rejecting the authority of God. And his, in some level, we're shutting off his ability to reach them. So it's a big deal. I want to look at this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's the story of Eli and his sons. And it's just really, really powerful and sobering um, and awakening. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm going to read at verse 22 to verse 30, and then let's just look at some of the things that this passage teaches that are so powerful about parenting and about our children. Verse 22 says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. So they're at the temple. His sons are acting as priests underneath him. And here they are seducing the women that are coming there to offer sacrifices. And he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. So if Eli's hearing it from all these people, obviously he's not very well connected with what's happening, right? He's hearing it from other people. He said to them, um, no, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against, sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Listen to this sobering phrase. For the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. And then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, so a prophet comes to Eli, did I not reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage in Pharaoh's house? So Eli was of the, the lineage of Aaron, the priesthood. And that's what he's saying. I, I chose your family to be the priests. Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar and to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? 
Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? So Eli was in on that. And what the sons were doing when people would come with the offering, they would take the best part for themselves. And Eli was a big, fat man who would love to eat. And so he was actually in cahoots in one sense with them. He wasn't in favor of them sleeping with the women, but he wasn't being honoring of the Lord and of his sacrifice and honoring the people rightly when they came. But that phrase is so powerful. Why do you honor your sons above me? How did Eli honor his sons above God? He did not restrain their evil behavior with dishonored the Lord. Verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be despised by me. Wow, that's just heavy language there. And so this whole issue of Eli not restraining his sons from the evil that they were doing. He spoke to them about it, right? He said, what are you guys doing? You shouldn't be doing this. The people are telling me this. What are you doing? But they wouldn't listen to him. And that's where he stopped. Then in chapter 3, we'll pick up at verse 11 through 14. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Eli knew. He said, no, you guys really need to stop that. That's not good. But then he didn't follow through. He didn't do anything. He didn't restrain them from evil. And the Lord held Eli responsible for that. Even though his sons were grown, he was still the priest and he should have he, look, he could have gotten rid of them, right? He could have gotten them out of the house of the, of the Lord and not allowed them to be in there, but he did not restrain them. He just said something, but he didn't follow through, and it had no teeth to it. So that's really sobering. Um, question, are we training our children to live in such a way that they're always resisting the Holy Spirit? What do I mean by that? The Bible says that the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. They're at war, right? Galatians 5. It says that whoever lives in the flesh will die. Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you're on the edge of perishing. That's what the Bible says. It says, this is so interesting as well. When Paul's talking about widows indeed and those who are worthy of receiving support from the church, he says they need to really be in need and not busybodies, not running around, not doing this. He said because those who live for pleasure are dead while they live. 
So are we teaching our kids, this is a big deal in our modern culture, are we teaching our kids that good parenting is all about causing them to have fun? And that's the main message that we're putting out there. Good parenting is making sure your kids have fun. That's a message of culture, right? Make sure your kids have fun. If they have fun, then everything's good. That, that's not a biblical value. If, if, if we love each other, they are going to have fun, meaning they're going to enjoy being together, but they also need to be trained and to learn what's right, and it's our responsibility as parents to actually teach them and enforce what it means to do right. We can't just tell them, oh, do right, but then here's, here's the big thing that happens over and over again, and you guys know how difficult it is. So we had seven children, and it's difficult when they're running around to follow through with what you say. But it's super important for them because we can train them that what we say doesn't really matter or that it only matters occasionally. And if they get a win one time out of five, they'll keep doing it. But if they never get a win, then they'll stop doing it because it doesn't make sense anymore, right? So we need to make sure that we're enforcing um, what we say, that we're, we're standing behind it, and that we're actually training them to do what's right. So part of... Um, part of our discipline of our children, it's not all of it by any means, is, is spanking, is, is that kind of correction. I want to make the case from the Bible that God said that very plainly, okay? Um, you probably know some of the verses that are in there, but we are called upon to discipline our children. And, and, and I will say this, if you start when they're young, then you hardly have to spank them as they get older. You really do. Because they're going to learn obedience. But if, if they believe that only half the time that you draw the line, are you going to enforce it? Then they're going to keep putting their little hairy toe over the line to see if you can enforce it. I mean, that's what they're going to do. Because they have flesh. And for us as parents, one of the things that we're trying to help them to do is to not to yield to the flesh, but to the spirit. Because those who live according to the flesh will die. He said that emphatically. So we don't want our children to perish, right? We don't want them to be rebels against God. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And what a fool is in the book of Proverbs is a rebel against God. They're wise in their own eyes. They think all of their opinions are right. They think that everybody should bow down and say, oh, you're great. You're the smartest person in the room. They, they're all completely self-absorbed, and that is the flesh. That's what a fool is. He's a big ball of flesh. We don't want our children to be fools because what happens is there's foolishness in every child's heart, including ours when we were children, for sure. And we're still getting some of it out there. Are you with me, you guys? The Lord's still purging some of the foolishness out of our heart? Absolutely, He is in His mercy. But for our children, if we can help them in the process to understand but what is foolishness? What is wise? What is following the Lord? What is not? We need to be the example, and we need to help to train them to learn the difference. This is all important. We're training our children to be godly offspring for God, right? To be disciples of Jesus. That's the main thing. You know, when I was growing up, the main thing for my parents, honestly, was that my brothers and I be successful in life, that we have a good job, make good money, live in a good house, have a good car, have a, you know, all that. But that's only secondary to the Lord. That's not really not that big of a deal. What, what is the big, I'm not saying not be responsible. We should teach our children to be responsible and to be good 
citizens to be able to have good relationships and all that, but not to pursue their own personal success. They should, their first desire, and what we instill in them is that the most important thing is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, right? The first commandment, all of our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. These values we instill in our children that the most important thing, what success in life means is loving Jesus well and love treating other people in the same way that we would treat Jesus, the first two commandments, right? If our kids get instilled the first two commandments, they're going to be blessed in their life. They will be, and the Lord will bless them, and they'll be a blessing to those people around them. So I want to make the case here, and then Diane's going to share more about the whole issue of training. Proverbs 13, I'm going to read several verses out of Proverbs here and then just make some comments. And I want to show you, I think what has happened in, in our culture today, and this is really a new thing, is that Christian parents will rationalize. Yeah, it says the rod, but that's just a metaphor for correction and for, you know, instruction. It's not really a real rod. I want to show you from Scripture that it is a real rod. And there's a reason behind it. God has ordained that that's part of the process. Again, let me go back and reiterate what we've already said. Disciplining with a rod. Um, we're going to show you one, one kind that we use here. See this? This is from Staples. This is a little ruler. It's got round edges. They're not sharp. They don't cut. It's very flexible. And it's just for a little sting. It's, it's not, it's not a, a beating. It's not a piece of rebar, you know. It's something that's going to get their attention and it's going to sting a little bit, and that's good. Here's, here's probably the most important thing about disciplining in, in the sense of spanking. It should never be connected with anger. Never. If it's connected with anger, it's not right. It's not a biblical thing. Disciplining is not out of anger. It's for the blessing of our children to train them just like because you're training their flesh. You're training them to have self-control. This is a blessing for them. The, the, most, the people that I feel most sorry for in my life, and I'm thinking of a couple of them right now, is that they were trained with no, they were raised with no discipline, and they've not been able to keep a relationship, not been able to keep their job, not been able to stay healthy because they just eat whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, all kinds of issues, diabetes, overweight, all those things that create health issues because they don't have self-control because their parents just let them go and a child that's left to themselves brings their mother to, to shame, right? So this is, this is a true thing. It's not loving to let a child do whatever they want. That's actually cursing them. That's making them to be odious to the people around them because they're so self-absorbed. Like, how do you have a marriage when you're totally self-absorbed and everything has to be your way or it's not going to happen? How, how do you have a good relationship at work <clears throat> when you don't have a work ethic because you can't make yourself do hard things and you just want to quit and you call in every day? What, what, what happens with that person? They don't keep a job, right? So you, you could go down the list. This is not loving to raise children who are self-absorbed and don't have self-control. That's a curse. That, in my view, is worse child abuse even than the anger. I'm not a fan of it, and I encourage parents, if you have anger that's out of control, then you need to not 
discipline with the rod until you get that under control because it's destructive. Anger in all of its forms is destructive, right? It's destructive when you yell at your kids, you're cutting heartstrings like crazy. It, it, anger is never um, a, a healthy way to parent. And so the issue of using the rod, understand to start, it's not with anger. It's not in anger. It's training. And I, you know, I use this example. It's like you're training a horse. Go around the, the circle. Nope, 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 nope. Go over here. Go over here. Nope, you, nope, you go over here. No, let's do that again. And you do it and you keep training. And as children are trained when they're young that way, then they learn pretty quickly, oh, that's not the way that I do it. Because if I go that way, it's not going to be good. So, you know, I use the phrase with my kids, it don't pay to disobey. It don't pay. It's not, you're not going to win um, when, when you disobey, when you ignore. That's not okay. You're not going to be disrespectful. This, it's not good for you. It's not good for our family. It's not honoring to the Lord. And so that's not how we do it. You set a culture in your home with your kids. This is really hugely important. Um, okay. I'm going to go through some of these verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. I want you to listen to them, like put them all together. And there's a couple in particular that make it really clear that this is not just a metaphor for correcting like you would say. No, don't do that. 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son. The world has softened that. You know the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. It doesn't say that. It says you hate him. Why do you hate him? For all the reasons I just gave, because you're cursing their life by causing them to um, go their own way and not have self-control. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So there's a diligence aspect to discipline, especially when they're young, starting it off on the right track and being vigilant. This is really hard when you have little children because you're so tired, right? And there's so much going on, and you just want to sit down and go, oh, I don't want to deal with that anymore. I just want to sit here. And when you're sitting in your chair and come home from a hard day's work, and you're sitting there, and they put that little toe over the line and look at you and go, you told me not to do that, but here's my toe. What are you going to do about it? And then you're like, oh, I don't want to get up out of this chair and discipline that child. But that's where... The discipline of the parents, the self-control of the parents is all important in disciplining children because we have to be diligent to follow through with the things we say. And I would encourage as well, don't just make up rules about everything and, you know, just glibly throw them out there and then don't enforce any of them. But like, think through what you say, but what you say, you need to stand behind it and enforce it because that is key in the whole process of discipline. You're actually teaching them to not listen to you if you throw things out there, and then you don't follow through and you don't enforce them. You're teaching your children to disobey you and to disregard what you say because they know you don't mean it. So think carefully. Don't say a hundred things. Just say one thing or two things that are important, and those hills you're going you're gonna to have a battle on if you need to to win. You, you need to win those, those fights. Um, next is Proverbs 19.18. It says this. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Think about the contrast there. Discipline him while there's hope, meaning when they're young. Don't desire his death. How do we desire his death? 
by not disciplining them. I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful. 20, verse 30, Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. So this is not just for children. This is also for fools, but he's saying that the, the strokes, the stripes, which means the external um, spanking, reaches the innermost parts of the heart. So the Lord in his wisdom has made a divine connection between a child's bottom and their heart. And there's something that, that's why when you spank a child, um, they cry a lot of times because their conscience gets, well, I've done, I've displeased my parents, I've done something wrong, and their conscience gets formed and gets triggered. And that's actually a good thing. Um, for them to do. So there's a sensitivity that's developed there. All right, Proverbs 22:15 says this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So again, there's a connection between the rod and getting the foolishness out of the heart. You see the connection between the rod and the heart is there in scripture for sure. Then 23, Proverbs 23 13 and 14, and I think these verses are decisive to show that the, the rod in the book of Proverbs is not just a metaphor for correction. Um, it's actually a spanking, okay? Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says this, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Now, is that metaphor? No, you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall, and the Hebrew says, you must strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. You must strike him with the rod. That's not metaphorical. The rod in the book of Proverbs is a real thing, and with our children is a real thing. And then lastly, Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof, there's, there's two things there. The rod and reproof. Eli gave his sons reproof, but obviously he didn't give them the rod. They grew up to be fools because they were trained to be fools. How did you train your children to be fools? You leave them to themselves and you don't discipline them. If you want to have a wise son, you discipline them diligently. If you want to have a fool, you just leave them to themselves, and they're going to become a fool. That's the reality. So it's really easy to make a fool, and that's why a lot of parents make fools, is because raising wise children takes discipline and takes effort and diligence. So the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Um... That is, I think, powerful testimony to the fact that when God talks about using the rod with our children, he, he's, he's talking about a literal spanking. Again, it's not the kind of spanking that is abusive. It's not wailing on them. It's not hitting them in the face. It's not shaming them. It's not coupled with anger. This is the problem, and this is why spanking has been largely rejected is because 
the culture will take the exceptional craziness of people that are angry and discipline their children in anger and go, that's not right. No, it's not right. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Get back to the point of we're training our children for their good. We're not getting even with them for making us mad and taking us off. That's not what we're doing. We're training them to be wise and to follow the Lord and to be self-controlled. We're actually loving them, right? Doesn't the Bible equate God's discipline of us in Hebrews 12 and other places with his loving us? Because for us to be disciplined and self-control is loving on God's part to discipline us. And the Father is the perfect Father, and His model is the model that we use. So, um, I'll let you go from there, babe. You want me to read the two values that we, I mean, I mentioned them, but the two values that we instill in our children in the home. So, this is, you know, again, repeat. We... These are the values, just looking at it on simple terms, making it two instead of 25, so it's easy to remember, but there's just really their pattern after the first two commandments. We, we exist to love and honor God. Success in life is measured by knowing and pleasing Him. And then secondly, we love and honor God by the way we treat others, and the way we treat others is the way that we actually treat Jesus. A lot of scripture, I'm sure, that comes to your mind. The sheep and the goats, right? Lord, when did we see you hungry and naked? And when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So powerful to teach our children. And Diane's got some stories of how we help train our children to treat each other. Like, I don't know about you, but we had some children that had a little hard time getting along. And um, so we had to walk through that. But it was a value in our home that we do not speak or treat each other disrespectfully. We do not treat our, the possessions of other people disrespectfully. We don't do that here. We have a culture of honor, and we treat each other honorably. And that takes discipline and diligence to, to make that happen. Um, but go ahead, babe. Okay. Thank you, hon. So I just want to say, like, because Barry mentioned the spanking, and then training, and really, you would use the rod for both, but if you're training, it is uh, definitely, you know, when they're younger, they're little toddlers, whatever, you just, you just want to give them a good sting, you know, you're not, um, discipline is a little different, um, training would be, um, you're teaching your, I don't know, 10-month-old, 12-month-old, not to throw the food off the high chair. And they do it, and you say, no. Mommy said, no. And they do it again. You take their little hand, and you give them that little whack. And again, affirm, no. Mommy said, no, we do not throw our food off. And um, if you're consistent, they will stop. If they don't win then they're going to stop that behavior. And that could be with so many things. It can be, you know, I talked last time about putting out the blanket with the candy and so that you're having a training session. What you want them to do is you want them to learn to obey your voice, teaching them to come to you. 
And I read this today, and it was so sweet. And the, oh, Lord, this is just so beautiful. Of a, a sweet mother when she said, I, I wanted to teach my children to come to me from the time that they were little, very little. So even when they were babies, whenever I'd pick them up, I'd say, come to mommy. And she'd pick them up out of their crib, and she'd just nestle them and hug on them and love them. And she said, so every time I said to them, come to mommy, it was just such a beautiful, wonderful experience for them. Like she said, I've never had trouble getting them to come to me because I did that from the time that they were babies. I thought, that is beautiful. I wish I did that. I wish I had known that. Absolutely would have done that. But anyway, with teaching them to come, you know, at first it is the, the little slap. Or, you know, maybe if you're teaching them to crawl to you, you know, you're just tying the string. Like I said last time, you're drawing them to you. But then as they get older and they're getting a little defiant and actually, no, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not coming right now. Then it's time for like some little discipline and you take them to the room. Now, listen, I love you. We learned this from Dr. Dobson and we said it. I think every time we disciplined our kids, I love you too much to let you act like that. You did not honor mommy. You did not honor the Lord. And the Bible teaches that if I train you to honor me, that you are going to be blessed with a long and a happy life, and I want that for you. So I'm going to discipline you right now because you did not obey mommy. You know, too little... Yeah, I, w I wanted to just ask maybe if you could clarify because one of the things that we've heard a lot through the years is, oh, they just don't understand. They really don't understand, so we're not going to discipline them. But <laughs> Oh, they understand. Annie's parents, right? Or, or, I mean, Helen's parents thought, how can she understand? She can't hear, and she can't even see. They had so much pity for her. She was living like a wild animal. She would go around. If you guys ever get the chance to watch A Miracle Worker, I highly suggest that you watch it. It's only like an hour and a half, but it's the story of Helen Keller um, in her younger days with Annie Sullivan when Annie Sullivan first became her teacher. But she would walk around the table groping for food. She couldn't, she, she never sat down. So, and when she would come up to your plate, she'd just grab the food and start shoving it in her mouth and eating it like an animal. She was existing, and she was miserable. She had so many angry fits. She was just throwing fits all the time. She'd bump into something, and then next thing you know, she's picking up the jar, and she's uh, flailing it across the room, crashing glass, breaking things, pulling her little baby out of the little bassinet and the baby falling to the floor and she, she had an older brother and the older brother really despised her he thought gosh like she runs the house everybody caters to her nobody else in the whole house matters it's all about what this little girl wants and she's a tyrant and he was right she was and nobody wanted to be around her nobody could stand her everybody just tried to tolerate her and or ignore her and she felt it she felt it, and her dad was wanting to send her to, like, an asylum or a... a yeah, sanitarium. And, uh, a what? Yeah, a sanitarium or... A sanitarium one, but yeah, that's... Or, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's basically an asylum for people, for mentally an ill people. An institution. Yeah, it's an yeah, institutionalizer, so but they didn't have a lot of different... 
kinds of institutions in. So when you went in there, you hardly ever got out. But um, yeah, they they um, so Annie was saying um, that in the institution that she and her brother were at, because I don't know what happened to her parents, but something happened to her parents. Um, and um, Annie herself was almost blind. She could see, but she was she had very, very, very poor eyesight. Um, that they would play in a room that was just like where they would put the dead people before they got buried. Like there were rats running down the halls. Like and so when Annie came and she heard like that the dad is like, listen, it's either go to the institution or, you know, there are there, we just don't have any options. They were they were totally um, at their wits end. They did not know what to do. Um, Helen was dangerous to other people. She would try to hurt them. She one time rolling on the floor with one of the little servant daughters, um, daughters of one of the servants, had scissors and trying to stab her. Like she was so angry, so mad, so out of control, they didn't know what to do. And the dad's like, she's just going to have to go to an institution. Like we cannot deal with this. So it was either, she's, as she's living right now, she's living in an, as an animal. It's either that or go to the institution. And when Annie got there, she was like, she was determined. She had lived in that institution, and she knew what it was like, and she did not want that little five- or six-year-old girl to go there. And so she was like, any bad behavior will never be rewarded. She's like, I don't care what happens. I don't care. She throws, she throws water at me. She throws, she said, I'm going to, she, the whole pitcher of water got thrown in Helen's face. Anytime there was negative behavior, there was always consequence. It didn't really show like her disciplining her with a rod and she wasn't her own child. So there's that. But she just did not let any negative behavior be rewarded. But unfortunately, her family was doing that, and the servants that she that were living at their house, because poor little Helen, you know, she she can't understand anything, and so she's all upset right now, even though she just stabbed somebody with a pen. But poor little Helen, come here, little Helen. Let here, you need a piece of candy. They're just always trying to console her by giving her a piece of candy. And Annie's like, what in the world? You are rewarding her bad behavior. And so many times we do that. We, we reward bad behavior. We have to stop. We have to stop and think what's going on. We have to be in control. Our kids should not be in control. That's for us to be in control. And that's one thing that Annie was determined, like, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to win. And when she saw, after being in their house for a few days, like, she was not able to make much progress with little Helen, and she's running away from her all the time. And so the dad's like, okay, well, you're failing because you can't even, she's running from you like the plague um, and running away from you and climbing out the window. But Annie didn't have complete control of her. She's like, she has got to be completely dependent on me. After two weeks, her little heart had changed. She's sitting down knitting, and she's outside learning, and she's just started to blossom. But then she goes back into the house, and then it's like, okay, she's either she's started to test. Okay, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to see. Are they going to, um, is, am I going back to life before these two weeks? Am I going to lose all the training that I had? And she just threw this major fit. And so what had happened is she had picked up a, a whole pitcher of water and just threw it and, um, and, or dumped out the water. So Annie picked her up to take her to the pump to refill the water. And, but it's just so beautiful because when the light goes on, that sweet little girl that could have lived the rest of her life in an asylum or an institution or whatever, or live her life as an animal, the light went on after all that discipline. And that's one thing Annie said. She's like, you know, she said, she's going to get it. Eventually, she's going to get it. If I'm consistent, she will learn. I just have to win. And I have to be consistent and not reward any negative behavior. So if, if little Helen throws something, Helen goes and picks her up. She forcefully takes her to the object and makes her pick it up. She's not going to win. If she keeps getting out of bed, you know, Annie continues to put her back in bed. She just did not let her win. And at the end, that the, when the light went on, she began to learn so much, and she adored her teacher. She loved her teacher. She loved her because someone finally cared enough to pay the price, to do what it took. She sacrificed her own life, and that's what we need to do for our kids. We need to sacrifice to, to train them and put ourselves aside, put our agenda aside, for a while, it's like, gosh, my whole life got put aside. Yeah, for a little while, but you know what? Then you're going to be like us, and our, your children will be raised, and they will love Jesus, and you'll, have, you'll say it was worth everything. But you will regret the rest of your life if you don't do it. So I really encourage that. But then, but then Helen just adored her teacher, and she went on to college, and she graduated with honors. How does that happen? She's deaf and blind. In two weeks, Annie, with consistency, had her to where when she was just going around groping like an animal, grabbing food off of everybody's plate and stuffing it in her mouth, she was sitting at the table with her hands on the table with a spoon in her hand and eating with a spoon. So the whole, I think we hurt ourselves sometimes when we go, Oh, they're just not old enough to understand yet. They're, and we've ha I've had people tell us they're four years old. Oh no, they're they understand. They're they've outwitted you uh, this whole season. So they do understand like more than than we think. And when they're on the high chair, like Diane said, and they start looking at you and throwing things off the chair, no, that they already understand what they're doing, and and they need some help in just getting self control. So that's a it's a fabulous story with Helen. Keller. She graduated with honors, and she traveled all over the country and was a, a public speaker. She learned how to speak. Annie taught her how to speak, even though she's deaf, and I don't know how that works, but she did. And um, it's, it's an amazing story. But just, just to say, you think you've got a hard time with your kids, right? I mean, compared to what um, Helen Keller overcame, uh, our kids are really 
pretty easy relative to that. I, I get, we, we do get the journey. So we're, we're not speaking out of a naive place. We do get it. <laughs> um, raising seven. I remember very well um, how challenging that was. But the Lord's grace is sufficient. And for us to be, th- this is kind of the point of that story, to stay with it and to not quit and to not become lax, to not, to, to recognize the messages that we're sending to our children if we put, if we tell them to do things. And, and honestly, I mean, not, not in a judgmental way at all, because I do get it, and I'm sure we did that too. But I do cringe when parents tell their kids to do something. They put the word out there, and then they don't ever follow through. They don't go, and that child looks up at them and goes, I'm going this way, and the parent turns around back to their conversation and doesn't enforce what they said. And I feel, I feel sad for the child and for the parent because it's going to be all that much harder when you're reinforcing the wrong message. Okay, you might as well come out and say to your child, what I say doesn't really matter. It would be great if you would listen, but if you don't, I'm really not going to do anything. I'm not going to follow through. That's actually sending a very confusing message to your children and it's teaching them that your word to them doesn't matter. Um, and again, you know, choose, I think we should choose. You know, our policy was to say yes whenever we could. Um, but there's some things that are just a hard no. And, and that's actually good for them to learn that. And you have to follow through with that. You have to chase that. If you say, okay, you need to make your bed, and they don't make their bed, they're going to make their bed. And we're going to help them. We're going to train them and have them do it. And if they, like one of our sons, he would do it, you know, just a, a sloppy, haphazard way. Okay, we're going to do that again. Yep. Let's do it again. Swap. Okay, we're going to do that. Let's try that again. Let's see. Okay. Tell me when you're done. Go back again. Nope, that's not going to work. Your pillow's still on the floor. That's not a made bed. Okay, let's do that again. And it's that training process of helping them to have self-control. Did they have the ability to make the bed neatly? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about an adult neat, but we're talking about decent, right? Um, Yeah, absolutely. But they just didn't want to. Just lazy, just being lazy, not wanting to do it, take the extra effort and wanting to win. And then, hmm, no, I'll do it my way. Not, you know, that's not going to work. Okay, so all of these lessons are important and just encourage you to, to think about what message we're sending to our children as we're raising them. Yeah, we're constantly sowing seeds. So seeds um, to the spirit or seeds to the flesh. The flesh grows. So, and as you train, I was talking with Pip and Jared um, before it started. the, The more you train, there should be many, 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 many times during the day when you have your little ones. I'd say under two. Susanna Wesley said children really should be pretty much trained by the time that they're two. She said then they are well on their way. And then you will hardly ever have to give that child an actual spanking. Like We had the seven, so the first four, we didn't really know about being proactive with all the training. Um, I just thought, okay, when I tell them to do something and then they don't, then that's the time to give them the swat on their leg um, and, and discipline them. And, um, but with Carissa and Brendan and Malia, I learned about the, the training ahead of time and teaching them to listen to my voice, to come to me, 
they were much more uh, willing to obey me in everything when I really trained them when they were, like, younger than a year, really focused on it a lot, like from the time they're starting to crawl until the time that they're two. And they, I hardly had discipline them, honest truth, guys. I just... Yeah, the others I can remember many times, <laughs> but their will and their flesh was already strengthened because I wasn't doing the training really, and so it was much had a much much harder time. Um, so definitely encourage you to do that. And um, so some ways, like if we have a culture of honor in our home, I just wanted to say like some ways this fleshed out in our home. So in honoring the Lord, um, and I mean, really just even starting with prayer. How do, we, how do we teach our children to honor the Lord in prayer? We sincerely talk to God. You know, sometimes kids can get silly and, dear God, you know, because people are laughing at them and, okay, they're cute. Actually, no, we never thought that was cute. We never thought being silly about the Lord was cute. So worship songs, prayer. No, that's not silly. That's not the time to be goofy and, and kind of stupid. Like, no. You can do that about other things, but not about Jesus. We love Jesus. So also, like with reading his word, um, of course, age appropriate, right? If your child's two, you're not going to read a chapter of the Bible to them. But you could read... Uh, we loved the Reading Grow Picture Bible. That's what we read to all of our kids, but it has like the little, it has pictures with it, but they're not cartoons, so they're, they don't take any of the Bible stories and make them silly. It's still the, the you know, the truth and the soberness of the, the, what's being taught through that story or through that passage, but it, helps them when they're younger, like, to really pay attention because you've got the pictures there. But even with that, like, we did not entertain our kids with a lot of really silly Bible story um, retelling. We, we stayed away from that. We didn't like the renditions that kind of took the Bible story and changed it and just made it into this silly, something silly, because we thought when they're older, I don't want them to look back on David and Goliath and think of the silliness, the silly song or whatever. I want them to have learned it from the Bible and know, like, okay, when I'm facing a giant, you know, I can have boldness and I can be have courage because the Lord's with me um, and he'll help me slay my giants. Um, and also, like, when we do read the word to our children, you know, Jesus said, you're clean through the word, I, word I've spoken to you. So when you take the time to read the Bible to your children, to share a Bible story with your children, it's washing their souls. It's, it's beautiful. It's like those little drops of water that, that are so nourishing and so strengthening, even though it might seem so insignificant. I encourage you to do that and try to be consistent with that. Um, training our children to honor the Lord with their money, that was a big thing in our house. Um, we taught them that they're stewards, that everything actually belonged to the Lord. And a verse that I shared often with the kids was, he that gives to the Lord, or he that gives to the poor, lends to the Lord. And the Bible says, and the Lord will repay him. 
So giving to the poor was like a big thing. We had a little jar in our house, and it had, uh, we put God's treasure on it, and a picture of a little child in a third world country, and the older children would just slip into the kitchen. Sometimes I'd catch them out of the corner of my eye, because I told them, like, this is, the Bible says to give in secret. So they would just slip in the kitchen, and I'd see them dunk some money in the little can, and then run out, and then the littler ones, you know, weren't able to reach it, so they'd come in and give me a little bit of money, and and one time, Chris, it was really sweet. I knew she was saving money for um, some dollhouse furniture because she loved her little dollhouse. She and Malia played dollhouse all the time. And she wanted to get, like, a little set for one of the rooms. And she's saving up her money. And we get this letter of some missionaries in Asia who are asking for a donation to buy bicycles because if they had a bicycle, they could actually minister to two or three three times the amount of people because they could, you know, riding a bike, you can get there faster than walking. So that really tugged on Carissa's heart, and she just decided, you know, uh, Jesus wants me to give money towards the bicycle and not get that dollhouse furniture, and she had been saving for a while. So she came in the kitchen when nobody else was there, and she's like, Mom, can you put this in the can? Like, well, Chris, is this the money you were saving for your dollhouse? And she's like, yeah, but Jesus wants me to put it in the can. I want to give it for the bicycle, so I put it in the can. And it was so sweet. Probably, I don't know, five minutes later, I just see her just skipping through the kitchen, just the biggest smile on her face. I'm like, Carissa, you're just so happy. Like, why are you so happy? She said, I just feel so happy. I feel so happy giving that money for the bicycle. And I said, Carissa, I said, I think you're happier because Jesus is pleased with you wanting to give. And you're even happier than you would be if you had gotten that dollhouse furniture, aren't you? She said, yes. <laughs> it was so sweet. But teaching um, our children to honor the Lord with their money is huge. And so there are so many things. I mean, Operation Christmas Child, doing the boxes. The kids would, you guys probably did that, or I don't, like, I don't know. <laughs> you, they, they would take their allowance and or whatever they saved up to go to Walmart, and we'd all go Christmas shopping for our boxes. And so they each were responsible to buy all the items and then to pray over them and to send them out. It just made it so personal. It was really good. Um, and then honoring parents. And, of course, like, like Barry said, the way, so with honoring the Lord, that came into every single thing. Any time we talked about honoring or if there was a, you know, somebody needed to be disciplined, it all came down to, listen, you, what this really amounts to is that the Lord wasn't honored in this situation. And, and I would say to them, like, and I know that you really do want to honor the Lord, don't you? Yes. Okay, so what, what did you do wrong, and, and what did you do that wasn't honoring, and how can we correct this? And I'm going to have to discipline you for that, And because I love you too much to let you act like that. I love you too much. I want to help you to honor the Lord. So honoring the Lord really is colors every single thing. But then honoring parents, first of all, um, we can never let them tell us no, right? I mean, 
if you're asking just a question, would you like, would you like some water? No, well, that's fine. You know, but if you ask them to do something or you tell them to come and then they say no, then we always disciplined when our children retorted with that ugly no. And again, I love you too much to let you act that way. I cannot let you tell mommy no because I'm the authority of God in your life. I cannot let you get away with that. But we, we did tell them that they were allowed, like when we gave them a direction, and they, they weren't allowed to, to challenge it in an ugly way or talk back, but they could make a respectful um, appeal. Well, okay, Mom, can I please ask you something about that? Sure. And then I can decide, okay, well, thank you. I do understand what you're saying, but I'm still going to ask you to do this. Or I can say, well, thank you. That changes my understanding or my perspective on this, and so now you don't have to do that, but, you know, maybe I tell them to go do something else or whatever. But anyway, that just helps so much alleviate that we, we should never let our children bring us down to their level. We're not their peers, right? They don't argue with their parents, <laughs> Sometimes you, you know, they do, but, and sometimes I had a hard time with that. Barry would say, honey, don't let them <laughs> get you on their level. You're not their peer. You are the authority, so. Yeah, and this is a big deal to the Lord because the parents are the authority of God in the home. Like, you are the authority of God in the home, and for them to say no to you and defy you, who are they actually defying? We're teaching him it's okay to defy the authority that God has put in our life, and that's not okay. That's a dangerous, dangerous place, and it leads to, that's what fools do. They rebel against God. All of their thoughts, they're right in their own eyes about everything they do, and that's not what we want. We're not raising fools. We're raising children who honor the Lord, and part of the way that we honor the Lord, right? Romans 13 said that all authority is given by God, and those that resist it are actually resisting God himself. So we would talk to him like that. Like, you, you know, the fifth commandment is the first commandment with a promise that if you want to love life and see good days, then you need to honor your father and your mother. It's not because of who we are personally, but it's because of the way that God set it up. He set this up for you to be blessed and I know that you want to be blessed. Do you want to be blessed? We'd ask him, do you want to be blessed and have a good life? Okay, well, this is how you do it. And um, so we're not going to allow you, you know. I had the, a tree business, a landscape business called Trees of Righteousness. So I use this example of, a, you know, little sapling trees, when, when they grow, if they get bent over, and then they get older, and that wood gets hardened there, and that those bends in there, you can't get them out. So what we're we're doing is we're not going to allow those bends to harden in you. We're going to straighten you back up. So sometimes this would be the stake. We're going to tie you to the stake so where you're straight and strong because we want you to grow up to be straight and strong for the Lord. Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So that is a, 
that is a real thing for them to learn. It's for their benefit. It's not us challenging them because we want to be in control or whatever, but God has ordained it. And so that's the authority that we operate under. And for them to understand his authority structure is just a huge win for them. And to be able to submit. It's fools that can't submit to authority. It really is. But the wise do because they know that authority comes from God and that um, they should submit to that as unto the Lord. Right. So and um, we train them to honor us by requiring that they come when they're called. And sometimes it can be, you know, that little two-year-old running around. They don't want to put their diaper on or they're running around and you can't get their pajamas on. And sometimes, honestly, like it can seem kind of comical and it can seem a little humorous. But if just but just realize if you are going to start laughing at that and they're running around laughing, then you're kind of teaching them to not come to you when they're called. And sometimes you have to bite your lip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to not yeah. laugh. Yeah. No, mommy said come. Because it is comical sometimes but nevertheless the the bigger issue of of their obedience is the most important thing obviously. absolutely you, you always want to do what the best thing is for them so um uh, barry said this making sure that they follow through when you give them a task to do because you're either going to train them to be responsible or irresponsible um, training them to be respectful proverbs thirty seventeen. like i'll tell you what guys this is a sobering scripture the eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Whoa. That's pretty serious. I am not a Bible scholar and I can't totally dissect what all and break all that down, but I know enough to say that that's bad. <laughs> it's judgment. I mean, that, that, that's the language the prophets used in the Old Testament of judgment when God's people were judged, like the birds are going to eat your flesh. That's not good. So he's saying there, if a child that is allowed to despise his parents and disobey them is going to come underneath the judgment of God at some point, like that's super scary. But it's our responsibility as parents not to allow them to get into that position. And I think sometimes we get kind of lax and sometimes we can be, we say that we're teasing or whatever, but, you know, sometimes I think as, as mothers, like we have to be careful what we're modeling because it says the eye that mocks at his father. Like, so we, so I need to be careful as Barry's wife that when he says something that I don't roll my eyes because our children can end up rolling their eyes at their parents or at their dad because they see mom doing it. Like, uh, no, Lord, uh, help me by your grace to never be disrespectful to him because I'm modeling, I'm modeling that for my kids. Yeah, and one of the reasons, honestly, that my kids love and honor me the way they do is not because I'm worthy of it, but because of the way that Diane always spoke about me when I wasn't there. I was working long hours, and so I was gone a lot. But she would ask them the question, what do you think daddy would want us to do about this? Or, you know, how, what do you think dad would say about this? And um, always speaking in an honoring way about me. And my kids just picked that up. This is, this is what we do. And um, I'm the beneficiary of that, but actually the whole home 
benefited from that. So I cringe. I do cringe when I see wives roll their eyes or because the kids see that and they're going to do the same thing. If it's okay for mom to mock dad, belittle him, and resist his authority in the home, then the child's going to pick that up for sure um, and think it's legit because mom does it. So that's what I'm going to do. So just need to be careful. That's an important issue. Yeah, and one day those kids are going to be teenagers, and you're going to need them to respect their dad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We'll have to beg to differ with you, babe. You were worthy of it, but anyway. You said you weren't worthy of that, but you absolutely are and were. Um, so we also teach them to honor us by not allowing them to interrupt adult conversation. So what we would do with our kids when if Barry and I were talking or we had guests over, then we just taught them to come over and just stand by us, put whoever they want to talk to, they can just stand there, just put their hand on our shoulder. And then we knew, okay, they have something they need to ask us. And as soon as there was a break in the conversation, or sometimes, you know, your friend didn't quite understand why your child is standing there with their hand on your shoulder. So then I would have to say, excuse me just a minute, because my child wants to say something or wants to ask me a question. But that just worked perfectly. Honestly, that worked great. And and, the, you know, when they're little, they went, Mommy, 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 Mommy. Yeah. Just wait a minute, honey. We're having, I'm talking to another adult, so you just wait. And when, in just a minute, I'll talk. So, you know, help them to understand. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard for them mm -hmm. because it's just, house is on fire right now if I need a gumball or whatever it is, you know. So um, that just helps them. But it helps them to learn to respect mm -hmm. adults, mm -hmm. right, which is a big deal. Yeah, and you're, they're growing in patience. Okay, they have to wait a minute. So, yeah, and you know, we would just praise them. Oh, you're becoming so strong inside. Yes, your that's character what we'd is say, getting yeah. so strong, and it's a beautiful yeah. thing, and that honors the Lord. Yeah. And those kind of encouragements to them are are huge. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we we don't culture does they praise children based on their beauty or their talents, but that's not what we praise them mm -hmm. for. Um, they're going to recognize that, but we we t taught our children, and I think this is the biblical model, that whatever beauty you have, you didn't create it. You didn't make your nose that way, you know what I'm saying? So if, if that's a gift from the Lord, recognize that you didn't make yourself that way, um, and the talent that you have is a gift from the Lord to use for himself and to serve other people so that they can understand what those are for, not so they can become rich and famous. And everybody loved them because they're one of the beautiful people. Um, but but to praise their character and their obedience. And, and then they understand that the value is not that you're pretty and you look so sweet when you're dressed that way. Or, you know, I mean, it's okay to say you look pretty today. But for that to be the consistent thing that gets praised sends a wrong message to them that it's all about external beauty. So then they'll start to look at other people and, and judge them on that basis, which is the natural way of flesh, right, is to look at the externals. But it's not the way God looks. He looks at our heart. And so praising their good behavior and their good character, then they learn the value in our home is to actually live godly and to honor Jesus and to honor one another. And those are the things that get praise from mommy and daddy. And then they want to do those things. And they recognize this is actually what's, a, what's really the highest value. And so it's, it's a win all around. But our own, again, as parents, our own 
self-discipline and self-control kind of we're shaping in their little hearts and minds what really is valuable in life. And they know what we really value. Um, and and if, if it becomes the externals of life that we really value, then they're going to value those same things. But if it's the internals that we really value and we speak that way and we praise the character issues and the obedience to the Lord and the way that we honor Jesus, like that's all important no matter what, um, then they begin to embrace those values as well. And that's, that's a win for everybody. Yeah, so good. And the other person that you're talking to, you know what? They feel respected too. And they would always praise the child for, you know, doing that. I mean, maybe not always, but a lot of times they'd be like, wow, that's really good character. Way to go being patient. So it's a really good thing to instill in them. Also, um, we teach them to honor by training them to say thank you. So, and it's really sweet. Our kids will still do this. When I cook dinner, I don't cook every single night for everybody like I used to. But, um, but when, but whoever eats with us, they always say, thank you, mom. Thank you for the meal. And you know what? That's just nice to hear. That's just really nice. Or when we go, we'd go to someone else's house, I would tell my children, um, you know, maybe it was an aunt or whoever or a friend, um, Michelle made this meal for us. Wasn't that really nice of her? Yes. And so that was their little clue. And then they would hear us thank whoever. And so then they would follow with that. Thank you, Michelle, for the meal. It's just very, very nice. They're not entitled, right? They're appreciating the something that's been done for them. So that's a really good thing. And so also saying thank you to teachers. When they'd go to their little class, you know, I would tell them, I would thank the teacher, and then I would ask my child, like, go thank them. And the teachers just always appreciated it because it can be hard, right? <laughs> so um, also we um, taught them to honor by teaching them to obey without complaining. Um, complaining, actually, like if you look at it from a biblical perspective, and with the children of Israel, complaining against Moses was actually complaining against the Lord. And so complaining was a big, big no in our house. Like, we don't, you can, you can tell me anything you want to tell me, but we are, we're not going to complain. We're not going to grumble and complain. Because, like it says in 1 Corinthians 10, those who murmured in the wilderness were destroyed by the destroyer. I want my kids to be blessed. <laughs> and how many of the children of Israel who complain entered into the promised land? None. How about that? How many came out of Egypt? Was it a thousand or a million? Somewhere between one and a half and three million. Okay. And only Joshua and Caleb. Only two. That's incredible, guys. Complaining's a big deal to the Lord. So, and when they complain, it's, it's not honoring. So that really needs to be cut out because, again, it's sowing seeds. And then honoring each other is the last thing. We'll wrap it up. But, um, you know, James 3 is a great passage talking about heavenly wisdom from above and then wisdom that's just earthly. The wisdom from above, the way we want our children to 
Treat each other is the wisdom that's from above. This is how the Lord comes in and blesses our family. The, the wisdom from above is gentle. It's peaceable. It's easy to be entreated. The earthly wisdom is where there's fighting and there's quarreling and there's strife. And it says in one of the verses, I didn't write it down, it says where there's envy and strife, there is every evil work. So uh, one morning I was reading that to the kids. I was like, guys, so when we're fighting with each other, you got seven kids, you got some fighting sometimes. And like when we're fighting with each other, I said, do you know what you might as well do? You might as well go to the front door and open it up and yell, Mr. Devil, come on in. We want you here. I said, you are inviting him in. If where there's envy and there's strife, there's every evil work. I said, we don't want him in this house. So we're going to keep that door closed by treating each other in an honoring way and loving each other. And how we treat each other is so crucial. Um, and, and when they really, when, when you tell them all the time, like the sheep and the goats, the way we treat others is the way we treat the Lord. When you tell them all the time, like you're giving them a higher, almost like a higher value. It's not all about them. It really is about how we want to honor the Lord. Everything comes back to how we can honor the Lord. And you're giving them just a godly perspective that's going to help them the rest of their life. And I just have a quick little story about um, Barry's mom lived with us for eight years. And I'm not a nurse like you, Pip. And I, you know, giving people showers, no, that's not me. I don't like it. But, you know, sometimes I had to. I had to help her with the shower because she had MS. And so um, she usually had help come in three days a week, but, and she always got her showers those days. But there were times when help was sick or on vacation or whatever, and it, you know, it, that would be my job. And uh, so one day her help couldn't come and she needed a shower that day. So she asked me if I can give her a shower and I'm like, sure, I'll give you a shower. But inside, I feel like I was like the children of Israel, like in the tent, just murmuring in my heart. The Lord knows I was murmuring, my God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. My flesh does not want to do this, Lord. I don't like giving people showers. <laughs> And um, uh, anyway, so I go over in the apartment. I'm helping her, and I'm in the shower with her, and I'm scrubbing her back, and I'm, and then I start washing her hair, and I'm like, Lord, and I'm trying to make small conversation, but I just like, I don't like it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And it wasn't like I didn't want to do anything for her, but like the shower thing, like I'm just uh, was over the top for me. But anyway, so I'm in there. I start washing her hair. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me. And he said, you're washing my bride's hair. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm like, Lord, you're right. Well, I start massaging it, you know. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. 
oh, I was just trying to be so gentle and just so loving and just minister and I'm praying. And here, you want me to do your back again? Let me, I might have missed a little bit. Let me just do that again. And I could have been in there all day and it would not have mattered because perspective changes everything. Perspective can take something that is a drudge and that we hate doing and can make it a delight if we have the right perspective. So giving our children the perspective that it's really all gone back to the Lord and how we can honor him, that helps them. It really does help them. It helps them to get beyond themselves. So um, that conversation happened a lot. Who wants to prefer their brother and sister? Because they know that's a high biblical value. We prefer one another. And they're like, I will. And so, you know, who wants to sit, you know, they, in our expedition, the third seat in the back, you know, they used to call it the rabbit cage. Uh, so nobody want to get back there. But who wants to prefer their brothers and sister to get, I will, I'll get in the rabbit cage. So um, it becomes a value that's, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful thing. This is, what, what you're doing as parents in your home is you're building a culture, which is the mindset. It's the way people think. So we have an American culture, and Americans, I mean, even though we're diverse, uh, we, we think a lot of the same ways about things. And, and so in your family, you're creating values where everybody kind of thinks the same way, and, and it's biblical values that we're wanting to build, not worldly values. And so those values are the ones that are esteemed, and everybody's on board about sacrificing for somebody else's comfort and giving up your privilege for the sake of somebody else. It's beautiful and powerful when you see your children doing that. And those are the days where you go, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. This is so good. Mm -hmm. So good. And so this might seem a little silly, but um, I brought a doll that used to belong to Carissa. And... Um, so uh, this is going back to, you know, how we treat each other because how we treat each other really goes back to how we treat the Lord. And because we're made in his image, that's why, right? So now I know this isn't a real baby doll, but when Carissa was little, this might as well have been a real baby doll because this was her baby. And I don't know what her name was originally, but... You can see her eyes are a little funky. So Barry named her One-Eyed Wheezy. <laughs> so. Well, Wesley stuck his finger in that baby's eye so many times that her eye was turned backwards. So it was the white of the eye there. So, yeah, I, I said her name was One-Eyed Wheezy, and her a life verse out of Scripture was, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. So. <laughs> but anyway, One-Eyed Wheezy, so... So Wesley had stuck his fingers in her eye, and he just thought it was like really funny that he made her eyes like that and it made Carissa cry though she was very upset because this was her baby and then they kind of went on and on because they the boys all thought it was really hysterical um, that her eyes got turned around so but it was really bothering Carissa so it wasn't loving Carissa and I'm like what do I do and I thought okay well to Carissa, this is her baby. And I was like, guys, you are going to have to start apologizing to the baby if you continue to do that. I want you to stop. You're aggravating your sister. 
And I'll tell you what, Jay, I don't know how old our oldest was at that time, but um, yeah, they were not going to want to humiliate themselves and apologize to the baby, so it totally stopped. <laughs> no more aggravating poor little Carissa. <laughs> um, but And we wanted the older ones to um, really love the little ones, but, you know, sometimes the younger ones can be seen as just an aggravation, and they're always getting in my stuff, and they won't... They won't leave my things alone. They just come into my room. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, they're just a little. They don't understand. Or they're pulling out all the clothes in my drawers. Or, you know, so we really worked on this with the younger ones so that we did not want that to be the scenario. We did not want that to be the narrative of, like, complaining all the time about how the little ones are aggravating them. We wanted them to really love the little ones. So we thought, okay, we have to teach the little ones to respect to their older siblings, respect their things, re, you know, respect their space. And if Carissa went in, and this happened with her a few times, pull everything out of Shana's drawers, then I went back in there with her, and she had to put everything back, and she got a little swat. And like, no, we're not going to do that. It wasn't okay. Uh, it wasn't excused that she didn't understand. She's just curious. She just whatever. No. It's wrong, and we need to respect Shana. We're going to honor Shana. We're not going to get into her things. You're going to help me put everything back, and you're not going to do this. And then she had to get, like, a swat for that. But we really wanted to, we, yeah, we really wanted the older ones to really love the little ones. Um, so um, one thing that they did to um, show honor to each other as they would secretly do somebody's chores or make their bed. And that really fostered a lot of love among them. Like, oh, you did that for me? And then we would play, you know, you, you heard the game Spin the Bottle. We would play Spin the Bottle, but when it would point to whoever, we would say something that they appreciated and loved about the other person. And so that really helped a lot with the little ones to, you know, everybody loved hearing what they were appreciated for. And it just made those seeds of the good character grow deeper. So that was really good. Um, okay, and then the last thing that I have down was just like when they do apologize. So when they would um, offend in word or deed, uh, and I would take them to the room because they needed to get a spanking for what they did. If they hit somebody or they just said something that was really unkind, then we just always brought it back to, okay, what this really is about is that you've dishonored the Lord. So first and foremost, you need to apologize to the Lord for what you did. And, and um, so I'm going to discipline you, but then the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to tell the Lord you're sorry, sorry, and then come out and apologize to your sibling. And when they came out, it could never be sorry, sorry, you know, and kind of do it halfway, not really look at them because they didn't really mean it, you know, but look at them sincerely. I am sorry. Look at them in the eye. I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? That was the right apology. 
And the other person with that always said yes. And then there was always a hug. So. Yeah. So keeping the culture of honor going in the home was a big deal for us. And, you know, again, just to reiterate, I felt like the thing that the Lord impressed on my heart that became a controlling value in our child rearing was if you will create an atmosphere in your home where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell, then I will do in your children what you can never do. And that is, he, he definitely did that for us. And so keeping that atmosphere is more, in one sense, more than training. It is training, but it's also inviting the Holy Spirit into your home. Because at the end of the day, our children will not know and see Jesus unless the Holy Spirit reveals him to them, just like he did to us. And so we want the Holy Spirit to have freedom in our home. And so we keep the things out that grieve him and that hinder and resist him. That's a huge value. And for us, that was a complete game changer, uh, for sure. So, well, let's pray. And if you guys have any questions or anything afterwards, we can, we can talk. Thanks for hanging in there. Father, we love you. We thank you for your good grace and your great heart for us. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord, and for teaching us how to walk in your ways, even raising our children and raising them for you. Father, I pray for these parents that you would help them, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them hope in their heart and Cause them not to be discouraged and just to say, oh, I just got to get through this and make it to the other side. But, Lord, would you teach them that there are strategic and eternal things that are happening right now in their season that you are wanting to partner with them in in order to shape and to win and to change the hearts of these precious children and turn them to you and instill in them strong and godly character that honors your name, and that is a blessing to those around them. Father, I pray that you continue to give your wisdom to each parent and your encouragement and your strength and conviction to hold to the values that you have set out and to hold to the course that you have laid out and not to become weary in well-doing, but to continue to persevere because in due season they will reap if they don't give up. You have promised that. You are working with them and for them and in them and through them to bring your purposes to pass in their families and in each child's heart. So, Lord, we thank you for just a continued outpouring of grace and encouragement upon each parent's heart as they move forward, trusting you to show the way each day and continue to strengthen their convictions in what they are to do. We pray. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.